0: So here's the mind-body. You can approach the mind through the body, or the body through the mind. But it's always this interplaying dance that goes on.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sanctuary First podcast. I'm James Cathcart. This is the first in a three-part series I'm doing on mind body, and breath. I want to take these episodes to chat to some experts and go deep, ask some existential questions and some practical ones. There'll be some theology, psychology, biology, but also some chat about toast. I love toast, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, mind, body, and breath. My guess is that if you're listening to this right now, that you're someone who is in possession of all three. But is that correct? I mean, you're probably breathing, thinking, and possibly even moving. But are you in possession of a mind, a body, and breath? Or are you somewhere in the mix? Maybe you are your mind, and your body is a strange wobbly sack on stilts that carries it around. Maybe you are your body, and the mind is just a useful program for running the hardware. Or maybe you are in the breath, a spirit that's born on the air, that exists in and enlivens a body and mind. Or, perhaps, you are the sum total, the pattern that holds all of it together. The mind, body, and breath certainly connect in obvious, intuitive ways, but also in more surprising ones. Take, for example, inner speech. Research has shown that something strange happens during inner speech. That voice in your head when you're thinking to yourself, for instance, I really want some toast, or how much toast is too much toast? When you use that voice in your head, your larynx is making tiny muscle movements. The voice is entirely in your head, and yet your voice box is moving. Something similar happens when we're reading. Something that we think of as completely interior and abstract is going on. And yet our bodies are participating. Apparently, the same part of the brain for speaking out loud is activated during inner speech too. When you say something to yourself, that's not just an expression. In a sense, you are saying it to yourself. Isn't that mad? Even when we think we're in an entirely conceptual mode, just working on an abstract plane, our body simply a caretaker keeping the lights on, it turns out that our bodies are part of it. The system of forming real sounds in the world is intrinsically linked to the imagined sounds in our head that we use to write shopping lists, scan menus, read novels and rehearse conversations. If you think the word toast right now in your head, go on, I'll wait. Toast. Your voice box moved in a tiny way. Just why our larynxes do this is something that scientists are still figuring out. When we learn to speak and to read, we repeat and sound out the words to get sensory feedback. What if this process never stops, but just gets quieter and more intuitive? Goes deeper inside? It's fascinating to think that our verbal thoughts might have to be made somewhere, that they're not just plucked from the ether, but are somehow inaudibly spoken so do our minds use our bodies to help us process imagined sounds that hold meaning or maybe it's our bodies that use our minds to paint a mental picture of what it's trying to express or maybe our spirit riding the waves of those little bursts of air in our voice box is playing our mind and body like an elaborate woodwind instrument a woodwind instrument that can listen to podcasts and eat toast so that metaphor got off track Let's say that the mind writes the script and our bodies set the scene, but it's our breath that enlivens the whole thing, that acts it out. The Greek word pneuma and the Hebrew word ruach, found in the Bible, both mean breath and spirit. Nowadays, we've tended to depersonalise breath, seeing it as a mechanical function of the body or a tool for the mind. But what if we've lost something? Lost an appreciation that's found in these ancient texts for the mysterious life force that infuses and enthuses us, breath and spirit, personality, hope and longing, all bundled up. So a single human being is a series of systems that all interact with one another. Are we made up of all the different parts? Or do we exist somewhere in and amongst the systems? Or are we the breath that runs through the catacombs singing hymns of life? And while these systems interact, allowing us to paint beautiful frescoes and climb majestic mountains and make slices of delicious toast, these systems also often work against each other. Sometimes our minds, bodies, and breath are in harmonious synchronicity, legs steaming pistons powering us along, confident thoughts borne on lungfuls of deep, crisp air. But then we also slouch and brood and snuffle not getting enough air in so that we're cramping our style quite literally, and finding ourselves stuck in mental loops that eventually hem us in physically and make those breaths even harder. Why do we need all these systems? Why do our minds have bodies to weigh us down? Why do our bodies need to breathe in and out all the time, constantly needing to refill? Why is our breath made self-conscious and awkward by our minds as soon as we focus on it? Over the course of this series, I'm going to talk to a few experts, people who know a thing or two about the human body and how it moves, thinks, and breathes. I'll talk to a hill-walking physiotherapist, a triathlon-competing yoga teacher, and a yoga-practicing running pastor. But first, a word about the Trinity. The Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Christianity offers us a profound, mind-bending way of looking at reality. God is three, but God is also one. Three distinct but intrinsically related parts. To say it's a bit of a head warp is an understatement. To get a handle on this idea, folk in the early church used the Greek term perichoresis, which was basically Greek for dancing about, peri being around and choresis being where we get the word choreography, to describe this fluid continual movement of separate but linked individuals. The dance is the dancers, but it's also the music and the relationship between them, and the rhythm and the tempo. All of it. Upon reflection, the deep reality of God and the universe, when it comes down to it, is community. And not just community, but a Kayleigh community of relationship, celebration, and dancing. And what does dancing take? Mind, body, and breath. We conceive of the move, we throw the shape, and then we have to get our breath back. From the Barolins' ballroom, to the impromptu cales breaking out in your living room over Zoom, to the very firmament of heaven, community matters. We are made in the image of God, and God is community. And each of us ourselves is a community, a communal system of thinking, breathing, and moving. So let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Episode 1. The Body. Joining me for this episode is Claire Young. She's a physiotherapist, educator, community leader, and a force of nature. Her passion for her work has taken her from treating muscular complaints in isolation to a deeper and deeper understanding of how the body can't be removed from the mind or from the community that that body finds itself in.
0: A physio and started about 30 years ago. And 30 years ago, when I was working, I thought I was fixing a muscle or a joint or a ligament. And then as time went on, we began to realize that actually everything is completely connected. And, and that was a, a fairly new idea of Western medicine. Um, and we were beginning to realize that actually if I have a knee injury it affects my neck and uh, my my sore shoulder might be due to my opposite hip so we we began to get this um connected but, and then the next ten years was absolutely fascinating for me because we began to get in the science of the mind-body connection. and um that you you and here is my sentence that I love You can't have an emotion without a physical reaction. Mm. And the first time that was said to me, i was I was utterly puzzled and thought and thought, and then went, "Don, you can't." So, if you, if you have fear, everything tightens and you pull back a bit. If you have anger, your, your jaw tightens and your hands might clench a bit. You might not show that because you might have been trained, don't show your emotions and control your emotions, but that happens in your body. And beginning to realize that this so the interconnectedness isn't just with my head to my toes. It's also my emotions and my body are completely interconnected. And um, so my my body affects my mood. My mood affects my body. And that just led me down a line where somebody who appears and says um, that they've had, you know, two or three major stress events in the last year, um, nursing somebody and then had to move house or something like that Mm. and now they've got a sore back I know that's all one story that's not three events you know um and uh, so I've had fun one learning the science behind that and it's all there now it's great that we've got I'm sure it's not all there now I'm sure we've got loads more to learn but that we know that our mind and body connect through our physical muscles and um, fascial tension, but also through our immune system and also through our alarm system. Hmm. So learning to explain that to people and, and really help them, I don't know, I guess have a bit more patience with their body. I think the fashionable word now would be compassion. That, you know, actually, if I've been dealing with a heck of a lot in the last year, and many people have in the pandemic because of they've either um, started working at home or they're doing a completely different job, and you have this emotional tension. Asking people to be almost kinder, more accepting of their body and give it a bit of space to do the healing it needs to So I've ended up, you know, having started, as I say, thinking I'm treating a sprained muscle. I now can't look at one sprained muscle, but I'm looking at the whole person. And that's been quite a journey. It's been a huge fun one, but I I definitely sometimes felt I was outside my field of competence or...
1: Stretching, growing, expanding. That's it. (laughs) That's the word. And so if I understand um correctly claire as well part of your work has moved into a more uh would you say like a community type model or an educational or kind of awareness you know as opposed to um perhaps a more medical treatment setting to a more kind of awareness or what what, what was good terminology to describe that
0: I, i like the communal and i like the educational and the awareness that i you know again i would love to think that I was the person that healed people. But it just isn't true. Time and again, all I'm doing is helping people put down or recognize what's stopping their healing. And sometimes that's that they need to go and learn how to relax. Sometimes that they need to stretch. Sometimes it's they need a bit of strength. And, and really, I'm. it's hugely about understanding and education. And so I've been thrilled to come across an organization called Capacitar, um, and it's about uh, enabling communities to heal, communities who've been in massively stressful situations like tsunamis or genocides or, you know, really awful stuff. And they discovered that people... um, with this stress and certainly ongoing stress, if they could do a certain set of um, physical movements, actually it calmed down their nervous system and their bodies got on and healed. And so the research has been done and it's, for me, hugely exciting. There's sort of Tai Chi-ish type movements. um, There's tapping, there's um, relaxation, there's a number of, of body practices that have an impact on the nervous system, the immune system and the muscle system and just bring health, particularly if they're done in community. So great to do by yourself, but particularly done in community. Mm. Um, and I love that. That's n- Nobody needs a doctor. Nobody, In fact, p- part of the evidence that came out of it is that if people did these regularly in a weekly group that they needed less medicine they needed less trips to the doctor Mm. they were they slept better they ate better they had less infections you know it just it's so fabulous that we can do mind and body healing with our body Mm. I love the mind stuff I find it fascinating but I'm I'm hugely intellectual and wanting to read more books and find more science. But I keep coming back. Do you know what? If you do nothing else, go and do some yoga. It's <laughs> fabulous stuff. And, and, you know, as a physio, I'm sort of standing on the sidelines saying, you don't really need me? <laughs> 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 Which is a very sad position to be in. Yeah. So, yeah. Inviting people to understand more about how their mind and body connect and then take, um, have hope that there are some small things that they can engage in.
1: I was really struck by Claire's invitation for people to learn more about their bodies and in so doing to take hope. One of the things she helped me understand in our conversation was what fascia is. My knowledge of anatomy doesn't go much further than the knee bone connects to the leg bone and the leg bone connects to the uh, hip bone. So it was fascinating to learn that there's this strange world of fascia that runs through our bodies.
0: So, what
1: is fascia?
0: It's a network that is the finest web you can think of. um, The finest web. And it goes from your toes to the top of your head. And we used to think it wrapped around muscle we now know that it is literally three-dimensional the way right the way through our body so if you were to think of your body um almost you know in a onesie or if you know the speed skaters they wear a a, a complete all-in-one garment that goes over their head and if you pulled on the shoulder you could feel it down at your hip and if you pulled at your, Um, knee you would feel it higher up so that your whole body is connected with this gorgeous very very fine network and it's made of a substance that is chemically rather similar to blue tack so if you have cold blue tack if you yank it it tears Mm. and in your body where it's torn it then heals where it lands so it sort of takes a bit of a tuck or a pleat my oh, right. gosh wow. so yeah okay and it, so it's sudden trauma on your body will do a little tear and then the body heals but it heals in a slightly different alignment so if you can imagine taking a clothes pig and putting it on your clothing it would pull your clothing slightly out of alignment and then if you warm it up it does a slow light warming up blue tack. it goes all soft and then you know that you can pull blue tac for miles, but it doesn't bounce back. So when yes, we sit-it's sit, not elastic. No. And when we sit for a long time, maybe leaning on one elbow and stretching out or stretching out forward for the mouse with one hand, or you play tennis always faced one direction, our body is doing a long, slow stretch for a long time. Our fascia, the scaffolding, warps to fit that oh my now God. when I stand back up again it doesn't realign okay if I now warm my body up and do yoga or go for a walk or do a movement in the opposite direction the long slow stretch does balance up but if I do eight hours on a computer and do half an hour for exercise, it doesn't balance it. It is the long, gentle. It's the yoga that, I mean, don't spread yoga too far. It's going to do physios out of business, for sure. <laughs> absolutely, for sure. It, because it's that lovely, long, slow stretching that realigns your, your fascia. Oh, and yeah. the bits where you've had the rip and the stuck, It that. That you can even work on with long, slow stretching yourself. But that's the stuff that I've got fascinated in, and we call it myofascial release. And it's something I'm trained in, and it's just fascinating. But here's the thing here's the mind body connection. Your fascia realigns due to trauma that's the sudden or habitual posture that's sitting in a funny position. But it's trauma and habitual posture. Physical or emotional.
1: Mm.
0: So if I have a sudden emotional trauma, actually my fascia yanks the time when you get such a fright, you feel as if you've physically been pulled apart. Your fascia realigns. And equally, if you have been bullied for years and you've been keeping your head down and your stomach's in a knot, Your fascia aligns with that due to the emotions. So, you know, I've had um, physical treatments that I've been doing where emotions have come up for people and they're, what are you doing to me? I'm like, no, it's not me. (laughs) It's your body. And, And what it is, is that the emotion that only happens when the emotion was trapped and could not be released at the time so if you know about fight flight freeze it's the freeze it's where I had all the strength of the emotion maybe I was in a car accident and I got a heck of a fright but hey I can't deal with it because I'm dealing with my child that's in the back seat and, and so I rush out, deal with the child, then I have to deal with the insurance, then I get home and the cat's sick, so I had to go to the vet, and the whole time you're holding this emotion in you, mm-hmm. well, it quietly warps the fascia, and and it doesn't get released because you're the, you're the grown-up, you've got to keep it together. And so you come to me six months later with a neck that's really, really sore, and as I begin to release your neck, the anger and the upset of the of the um, a car crash comes out because it couldn't be released at the time. Why? And so here's this whole thing that we, we almost need daily maintenance of our emotions and our body tensions so that I'm not carrying into tomorrow the emotions of yesterday. All the physical tensions, because actually there's no difference between a physical tension and an emotion. Same, same thing.
1: This idea that there's no difference between a physical tension and an emotion is striking. I tend to think of one as a symptom of the other. I feel worried and then my body feels tense. Or I feel sore and that has a knock-on effect on my emotions. I begin to feel afraid. But Claire is inviting us to think of these different kind of feelings as bound up in each other. Something might manifest as a physical sensation or a mental thought, but it's all tied up in a body at the same time. The physical feeling is not an after-effect of the emotion, it's part of it. We can't be moved emotionally without being moved physically. If you're having an emotional reaction to something, you're having a physical reaction too. So what happens when the physical world changes dramatically in a matter of weeks? when your movement is curtailed and your options become severely limited, what happens to our minds and bodies when, say, a pandemic hits?
0: So COVID is an illness. I'm by no means an expert on, although the thing to know it is multi-organ, and therefore, again, we need this holistic approach to getting people better. As a nation, it's fascinating um, to see uh, the exercise stuff Joe Wicks, if I got that right, mm-hmm. who is, his exercises have taken off. What a fabulous phenomena. And people who really have never bothered to do exercise before, just loving every moment with him and discovering movement. And I've heard of people who've taken up running for the first time in their lives and people who aren't commuting an hour each way, twice a day. They have two hours extra. And they've chosen to use that finding the local park or taking up online yoga or something like that. So I think physically, for some people, it's been a fabulous time to invest in their bodies and invest in and a, 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 to experiment, you know, would I like to do something different? Some people have done that knowing that unless I do this, my mood is going to go, down the plug hole. And some people have just done it because they were bored and actually they've realized that it does fabulous things for their their mental health. Some people have taken to exercise and we we can say they're gonna come out of the pandemic healthier than they've ever been. That's not just their weight or their muscles, They'll have affected their blood sugar level. They'll have affected their their intelligence. They'll have affected their osteoporosis. Everything will be better. And some people have curled up on a couch and not moved. And they, we will see the repercussions of that, absolutely, definitely. Because we need movement for our digestion. We need it for our skin. We need it for our thinking, for everything. And so if you slow your body down, you will. You, there's about an 18-month to two-year knock-on effect where 18 months later, you're going to start feeling some things that could have been avoided with movement. Not wild exercise, just movement. One of the other things where there's very new science coming out and, you know, it amuses me enormously because I think all we're doing is proving stuff that my granny could have told me, um, which is that getting into nature markedly affects what goes on in your mind and your body. So they're saying walking at, in fact, looking at a picture of nature, um, but being in a tree touching plants changes your 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 adrenaline cortisol levels so fast, unbelievably fast. And I think that's another discovery people have made. Oh, you know, I never knew there was this walk that I could go on near me and I love it. And, and there's a tree and um, I've seen the squirrels and and we know that this is, so this is a physical getting out and walking that's going to have repercussions all the way through the body.
1: Claire, are there things that people can do which help them in small ways to introduce more kind of movement and dynamism into their life if they're stuck still or, or just have been felt really stuck for quite a long time? Are there things that we can do which can help us move?
0: I, I think one of the things is just to say Don't you stuck in one position. And actually, my tool of choice there is my kitchen timer. That I just, every time I sit down on a computer, I turn it to an hour. So that after an hour, something radically goes, and I have to respond to it. And then my deal is, I just change my position. So I might pick my laptop up and walk over and put it on the ironing board so now I'm standing, or put it on the kitchen surface, so now I'm standing, you've, you've made a change, that will do things for you, um, so just accepting that, just deciding that I am not going to spend three hours in one position, your body starts slowing down after 30 minutes, so that after three hours, it's really got some back, you know, a backlog of movement that it needs to do, But the other thing is to say any movement works. So one of my favorites is to stand watching something that I have to on the computer and just stretching my arms in the air, just doing a great big sort of early morning stretch, you know. And it's funny how a smaller thing as that begins to wake up the rest of my body. Having done my arm stretch, my legs begin to go and and me too. And so I'll do a bit of stretching with my legs and and it's just play around a bit. The other thing that sounds ludicrous, and when thank goodness nobody sees me because it would look ludicrous, is I call it dancing to music, but there is no way is that anybody who was a dancer would categorize what I do as dancing. But I put on music that really gets me going. So that you cannot sit still and listen to, <laughs> it. you know, I'm yeah. sure everybody has some piece of music that they they want to swing their hips to, or they want to, you know, punch their arms in the air. I put on a piece of music that's usually about two and a half minutes long. And I just, I, I guess you would call it boogie or something, you know, I just go for it and I have such fun. And at the end of it, I was like, ah, oh, that was fun. I happen to know that it's changed the chemicals in my brain. And I happen to know that it's rebalanced a whole lot of stuff in my body. But even if I didn't know that, I feel better. So there's really just simple things like find the thing that gives you, that just makes you want to move and do a little bit of it. So on Facebook, I've got a site called Mind and Body with Claire Young. And there are 30-minute sessions of movement practices, complete range, from the tapping stuff that we've talked through to, to just the simple stretching to a bit of you know moving around. And you could do five minutes of those. You know, you don't ever have to do the whole whole uh, half hour. But I've loved going onto the, the web and and just typing in yoga for beginners. And I don't even do the whole program, I might do the first four stretches or first one stretch. Um, And I think Joe Wicks is fabulous. Um, So I think finding a way to put a tiny amount of movement into you makes you more likely to do a bit more the next day and so on. The other thing is we do benefit from doing things in a group. Um, So, Having a mate who you phone up and you say to them, I need some exercise. Can we both do the same video? Just something that keeps you going. We do know that support groups really, really matter.
1: Why don't we invite the listeners uh, to pause their podcast and get up right now if you're listening to this.
0: No, you don't need to pause. You just stand up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true i suppose if depending on where Absolutely. you are how you're listening yeah. you could just keep yeah. uh, moving as we're talking or um yeah. or perhaps yeah. they could pause if they want that boogie um if a song Absolutely. popped into your head when claire said that uh, maybe just pause us for a minute and uh, get that song on throw some shapes and we'll be waiting for you on the other side <laughs>
0: <That's> Fantastic! Great <laughs> idea. <laughs>
1: So how about we do a quick uh, deep dive into Ephesians 4. So no prep here. No, uh, (laughs) you've not been forewarned or anything. But basically, all I'm driving at is that there is a phrase that Paul uses um, towards the end of this passage about ligaments. And I was wondering if the idea of, or as it's given to us in the translation, that's the word ligaments, um, if this understanding of fascia, and, and what our fascia is, how that could be um, added to the kind of metaphor toolkit when we think about the body of Christ. Claire and I discussed Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. That's Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. Uh, and here I am coming in at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love.
0: And just love this joined and knitted together. And if you can imagine um, that your knee has had some injury and instead of it having this lovely flexible movement, you're sort of knotted at your knee, then the rest of the body takes strain. And similarly, in our spiritual body, in our Christian family, this is the bit of, you know, if one person is crying, then it affects all of us. And if Mm -hmm. one person is is joyful, it affects all of us. You can't leave one part of the body behind. We've got to take the whole body with us. And so if, if there is, in society, we're discovering It doesn't work to have some people who are paid dreadfully and have low health and and go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You know, they're just, it's all their own fault. Guess what? If they have low health, the whole nation has low health. Hmm. And so it's this business that we can't leave anybody behind. We are completely, if you use the analogy of the body, Um, you can't ignore one bit that's tight and not able to flex you've got to you've got to work with it you might never get it 100% again but you've got to acknowledge it and and work around that Um, Mm. and and same in our in our churches in our fellowship groups you can't just chuck out the ones that don't work you know, you can't chop your knee off. You can actually chop your knee off, but it makes it quite difficult to walk around. <laughs> and uh,
1: Famously. So, yeah you,
0: know, <laughs> you know, a lot of us put up with a knee that's a bit dodgy, but you then almost need to bring compassion to that knee and, and go, okay, how do I work with you? Hmm. Not against you, not hating this knee that's such a bother. And similarly, you know, you know, Mary, Burt, Wilbert, whoever, God, they're a pain. Well, no, okay, hang on, how can I work with them? They have different abilities, different needs. How can I work with them um, to be this complete body joined and knitted together? But, But, you know, if we're talking about society, This says that sometimes the place where you're seeing the problem and the pain, the riots that are happening, the pain was way back. Hmm. You need to go back and address that pain before the riots will stop. You can suppress the riot, but actually the tension that's causing it is still there. You've got to go find where that tension comes from heal that tension then the riots just don't happen
1: Mm, mm, that's really interesting actually isn't it to think about the in terms of as as a as a collective body the idea that maybe we come with a sore foot you know and <laughs> we're saying, oh i've got this sore foot and so we need to put everything into the feet we have to give the feet every care we can and they've got to be the best thing Buy And your feet, shoes maybe. And... Yeah, oh, yeah totally yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> oh, put your feet up for goodness sake whereas yeah, actually yeah. like you say what where well, where's the neck
0: Could be further up yeah, yeah
1: where, where what's yeah. happening there and yeah the connection so it's sort of um i don't know maybe perhaps it's inviting us to go a little further into this this kind of this metaphor is a little bit more networky than just one thing that links to the next thing
0: i think a lot of us have learned to tune out from our bodies to not pay them attention and and bringing that bit of care and love really just helps so much more and i i think in our communities in our church communities and our civic communities A lot of us have learned to tune out from the people who are difficult um, because it's just too difficult, you know, and and learning, finding ways of tuning in and being helpful without becoming a doormat or without Mm. becoming, you know, the sole resource for that person, um, which can be draining in itself.
1: And in terms of the parallel as well, that physically or emotionally, there is a cost to be paid you know so so i think our bodies end up maybe bearing the cost of that you know if we if we choose to hold ourselves tense or no i'm just going to push through or i'm going to cut that person out or i'm going to ignore that situation or i'm not going to move or i'm not going to it has to something has to pay for that Um, and and often it's our physical um Mm -hmm. forms which are Mm -hmm. having to to bear the brunt but i just thought that was so great what you said about um how we've Tuned out of our bodies, and I think so much of our kind of amenities and our kind of modern life and everything means that we sit in chairs that are often fairly comfortable in rooms that are often maybe a bit chilly, but you know reasonably temperate,
0: or overheated, or overheated,
1: or whatever. But there's you know within, and this is not you know ignoring the fact that life isn't comfortable or pain free for many people, but but there are a lot of successes that we've made in terms of making life a little bit easier and more convenient. Um, a bit labour-saving, you know, and, and and what have you, which has meant that, you know, we don't maybe get those little pockets of time to tune back into our body.
0: When my dad was a student, so you're back a long way, Um, he had to go out and chop the wood for the fire. So he'd be studying, getting colder and colder and colder, and finally he had to get up and go and chop wood. He said it was the best thing he could have done for his study. You know? Yeah. His whole body workout, and he always reckoned that a fire gives you heat twice. Once when you're chopping the wood, it warms you up. Second, when you burn it, you know. But I think now, in a centrally heated house, you could be a student and sit in your room for seven hours and you wouldn't have Uh, to move, you know.
1: I was just thinking that the fire gives you a third warmth and the glow of satisfaction as well. So just before we kind of wrap up, because I'm conscious that as a woman of movement, I've forced you to sit down for <laughs> over your
0: hour. I've been twitching loads. It's okay. I'm just
1: worried your poor oven is having a fit. I'm
0: just telling, <laughs> move, move, Claire,
1: move. Just kind of coming back around to the idea of faith and spirituality. And I said to you a bit before when I was you know, setting up this conversation about this idea of perichoresis, which is something I'm going to be looking at in this series and the idea of the Trinity. And this way of understanding the Trinity is this form of dance, you know, and this movement between the three different things. And so kind of coming back to this idea of our, our bodies and our lived experience and the physical and the mental, and, and how have you found bringing the different parts of yourself together, you know, in terms of how, in, in what ways has your, um, because you know a lot more about the body than than most people do. And, and, and how has this knowledge shaped the way you understand the the divine or your relationship with god you know i mean we we touched on this a bit kind of earlier but but you know is there anything sort of before we close that you'd like to say that that your experience of learning so much more about the body and how it works has that you know challenged or undermined or kind of pulled you up or or given you new insights
0: i uh, grew up very high anglican so we rang bells and we had candles and we walked around and you know we did a lot of things and i thought this was when i became a christian it was a dreadful ritual and um really was quite snobbish about it uh and and i don't think i'm a naturally ritualistic person anyway So I was all for, you know, goodness, you don't need all of this stuff. Well, you know, give me 50 years and I begin to realize the wisdom of these people who might just know a bit more than me. There are things that we do physically that bring us closer to our spirit, because Mm. actually we're humans. We cannot be outside our bodies. There isn't a human who's outside their body. That's God who's outside a body, if you want to put it that way and so actually kneeling down to pray um making the sign of the cross um breaking bread you know these things we do with our body i'm suddenly re- oh the whole point of that is to get closer into myself i you know i i just don't know why i'd missed the point of so much of ritual and i think now i having learned so much about the body, I'm now appreciating the spiritual things that I didn't appreciate beforehand. Mm. Um, and any minute now i'm going to be wearing a long white cassock and carrying a candle and ringing bells any minute now <laughs> any minute now you know.
1: just out of shot in this zoom call you have a large <laughs> candle guttering <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> and and ringing chimes and oh my goodness and realizing no this was because people understood we are we are spirits inside bodies we need physical things to take us close to our inner self. That's -hmm. that's how we are. And for some people, that will be vigorous dancing with their arms in the air. For some people, that will be kneeling in silence and breathing deeply. But we can't do it other than with our bodies. And I think maybe this is an Easter that I'm approaching going, wow, God was embodied. You know, and God was incarnate. Is a very religious and spiritual sounding word, but I'm suddenly realizing, oh, it, it, it really means embodied. A- and that's amazing. That's absolutely incredible to realize he was prepared to come and be part of this physicality that, quite frankly, is a bit uncomfortable <laughs> on the basis, <occasions>, you know, <laughs> gas. Where does my mind become spiritual? Where does my spiritual become physical? Where does my physical become mental? I do not know, and and I think for quite a long time the sort of physical, but has not been the very important part. And paying more attention to it, you know, giving it a good sleep, actually really improves my spirituality. <laughs> 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 you know that lovely, clothe yourself with compassion and all that that but, but you've just been reading. I can do that a whole lot better when my body's had a sleep. I'm so much
1: nicer. He should say at the end, like, and I'll just get a good night's sleep. Like, it'll be better the next day. Just sleep (laughs) on it. Have have you eaten? Do you need to sit down? Have some water? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Am I a sinner? No, I just haven't slept.
1: Go to sleep. Am I a sinner or am I tired? Yeah, totally. So here's the takeaway. Get some sleep but also get dancing. Use your oven timer to remind you to move. Introduce movement in other small ways. Appreciate how the body of Christ is linked in a network that stretches and pulls, where surface issues can have deep causes that need to be unwound, perhaps even physically, so that we can move forward together emotionally. Thanks to Claire Young. And join me for episode two, where I'll be exploring mind, body, and breath – with a yoga-practicing running pastor. But for now, it's time for me to get up and to make a piece of toast. My mind, body, and breath will thank me for getting up. The two and a half minutes or so the bread is down gives me a chance to stretch and wiggle, to retune into my body. In fact, taking Claire's advice, it's probably just enough time for a quick boogie. Toast boogie, anyone? This podcast was written and produced by me, James Cathcart. And thanks to Mark Russell for the brilliant music featured in this episode. Thanks for listening.